Well, we're starting up uh, going through Matthew this week, the day before Christmas, the reading will start, and then Christmas Day, the reading will be this passage that we're looking at today. And we've kind of already been starting by looking at how, how the passage sort of starts. It starts by giving the genealogy and the first chapter and starts with Abraham. And so we've spent the past few weeks looking at Abraham. But what the passage is really pointing to from Abraham is, uh, it says, verse 1, uh, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And this passage that we're looking at halfway through, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Uh, the word Christ, it's a uh, uh, a word like anointed, but it's capitalized like a proper name. And, and sometimes uh, it's translated Messiah. They, my version translated it Messiah at the beginning and then translated it Christ halfway through. It, it's actually the exact same word. And, and the reason why uh, sometimes it's translated Messiah instead of just the word Christ, which is what it is, is because the, the Christ is talking about a promise in specific, the promise that he's pointing to here is the promise given to David. And it's that throughout the Old Testament, there is this promise of a Messiah, or, or what that means is a Savior, that God had been promising uh, throughout the generations to Israel that there would come this person who would be the Savior, the Savior of the world. And it's this figure that they attached all these promises to was a figure that they refer to as the Savior or the Messiah. And so at Christmas time, we're often thinking of it in terms of this is the Savior that God has brought into the world. The, the problem is that a lot of times when we think of Savior or the idea that I need to be saved from something, we usually think of it in this terms. I know that this is good, and I know that this is bad, and I've chosen to do this bad thing, and I've gotten myself in this situation, so now I need to be saved. And that is true. <laughs> that happens, and that is an aspect of salvation, the kind of salvation that we need. There is an aspect of it where we know what is good, and we know what is bad, but we've just chosen to do what is bad. And so now we are in a situation where we need to be saved. The problem is, when we think about that is, is that we think that there is this aspect of we know what is good and we know what is bad. And the only time we need to be saved is when we've choose to, chosen to do something bad. But what this passage is pointing to is like, no. That is a small part of the salvation we need. The fact is, when we choose to do good, we need salvation too. And if you look at the story that it's pointing to, it's in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. If you care to go there now or later, you can look at it. But here, here's the situation in which the, the Christ was promised. This promise of God's salvation came. What's the context of that promise that's being referred to or pointed to here in this pointing to David and the promise that was there. What the situation was in the big picture, God had brought Israel out of Egypt. Pharaoh, the Egyptians had just done horrible things 
to Israel. And he saved them from these horrible things that people had done to them and, and brought them out. And on the journey to a land that he was promising to give them, he gave them some instructions to build this tabernacle or a tent, basically. And his promise was, I'm going to be with you. And that's why this passage ends with that of it saying, Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That promise of God being with them had been attached to this salvation that he had given and this instruction to build this tent. And the idea behind the tent was they would set this tent up. It required a lot of work setting it up. And then when they were done, they, it was a lot of work tearing it all back down. They would go to another place. They would set it all back up. They would worship God. They would tear it all back down, and they would keep moving. <laughs> and so it was this sense of worshiping God on the go, almost temporary type thing, which seemed to fit, right? It was practical. It fit with what was happening. They were on the go. They didn't have any choice but to do that. They couldn't set up something permanent because they themselves were not permanent. And then they got into the land. They received houses that they did not build. And generations later, they started building their own houses. They settled in. They asked for a king. God said, this is a bad idea. But he gave it to them anyways, and he attached some promises with it. Even though it was a bad idea, God did it for them, and God made it so that it was a good idea because he worked it into his plans. And when that king came that was after God's own heart, David, and God had established David's kingdom, had given him peace, and Israel was sort of at a, the height of its rest uh, uh, from all of the people that were, it was a long journey. And David himself settled in, and he built himself a house of cedar. And then when David looked at the situation, he said, why am I and everyone in Israel dwelling in these houses? But God's still in this temporary tent. And so he went to Nathan, the prophet, and said, look, I want to build God a permanent house like, like what I have, what everyone else has. This, I have this idea that I think will be good. And Nathan said, that's a great idea. Go ahead and do it. That sounds good. But then God came to Nathan that night and said, hey, go tell David, this isn't a good idea. <laughs> At what point during the entire time when I had led Israel out of Egypt, did I ever ask for a house built from cedar? You're going to build me a house? I ha what makes you think that's what I want? Have I ever said that that's what I want? You know, a lot of times we feel like we're helping people by imposing on them something that we think needs to happen because it's what we, it may or may not have anything to do with what they want. That's what this story is based on. Sometimes our great ideas and the ways that we think that we're serving God has nothing to do with what God wants. God said, you'll build me a house. I built you a house. And I will build you a house that will last forever. That's where the promise of Jesus starts coming. And he says to David, you were just a shepherd behind the sheep. 
and I brought you out to lead all of Israel. And you're going to build me a house, one that I've never asked for? The house that I'm going to build is a house that's going to last forever. But you, you will just go to be with your fathers. And when you do, I will raise up someone. And he will be a son to me. And my loving kindness will last forever. This house that I'm building, and it's a reference to Jesus. It's a reference to what we see here in the work of the Holy Spirit, that if we hold on to the salvation that Jesus has, if we open our hearts to the salvation that Jesus is offering us, then the promise is the Holy Spirit, God himself, will come and dwell inside us, which is this body that is temporary. If the message that David is saying is that God needs something that's per- that what's permanent isn't us in this body. What's permanent isn't a temple. The temple was built and the temple was torn down. The temple was rebuilt and the temple was torn down. But Jesus said, tear this temple down and in three days I'll build it back up. What he was referring to was the life that God was giving him, an eternal life with him. So often our big plans are really about things that are just going to fall apart in the end. But what is it that's going to be permanent? What is it that's going to be everlasting? It's a good thing that Jesus is saving us. But what we need to realize is a big part of Jesus saving us is him saving us from all our great ideas. It's not just Jesus saving us from bad ideas that we've evaluated as being bad. It's not just Jesus saving us from the mistakes that we know we've made. It's Jesus saving us. The majority of it is Jesus saving us from all the things that we think are good and right that we are doing that are just sending the complete wrong message. It's a message about what we're building, which is nothing, when it should be a message, the message that Jesus is giving, the message that God was preaching, the gospel that God was preaching to David. It's about this connection, this salvation that we have with Jesus that's connected to God being with us. Now, how does that play out in the story? It says... Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. (laughs) When his mother, Mary, had become betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. It was something that the Holy Spirit was doing. And, And, you know, When you look at the story, you think, well, how could anyone know that it was something the Holy Spirit was doing? Because, you know, when you just look at the facts, I mean, she's pregnant, you would have to assume. That's part of everything that the Holy Spirit is doing, not just this one thing. Nothing that the Holy Spirit makes sense when we just look at it, because it shouldn't be happening. The only reason why it's happening is because God has stepped in. The very definition of God being with us is that something that we're looking at is not going to be the case. It says, 
And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. You, you know, almost everything that I, I had to, I don't have to do this, but I just wrote down the exact words of one guy that come, because he just put it in such great terms that this is how everybody that writes about this almost looks at the situation. They just put it in different terms. So this guy had a good way of writing it. He said, Joseph, therefore, moved by an ardent love of justice, condemned the crime of which he supposed his wife to have been guilty, while the gentleness of his disposition prevented him from going to the utmost rigor of the law. <laughs> That's the way we see things. That's the way that we see things because we don't see what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's the way we see things because we don't see God with us. And, and what's the problem with that? I mean, what's the problem? An ardent love of justice? How could there be anything better than having an ardent? Doesn't an ardent love of justice define what it is that God is doing? You know what the problem with that is? He supposed, she, the guy says, the crime which he supposed his wife to have been guilty of. She wasn't guilty of anything. Him looking at the situation in terms of what has God said? What does the Bible say? What, what is it that needs it? What is good and right? And then taking the most gracious. The whole problem with that whole thing is it's based on an assumption that was incorrect. Mary hadn't done anything. What does God need to save us from? You know why Jesus was killed? I mean, Judas, you know, at least Judas was honest. At least he, for Judas, it was something he maybe at the time was trying to figure out whether it was good. In the end, Judas knew, man, I just chose bad. But all of us that were there, Jesus was killed because we thought it was the right thing to do. We thought we were doing what, what God said to do. We thought that this is what the Bible told us to do. You know what's wrong with that? All these assumptions that are made. All these supposed this, suppose that. What we need to be saved from isn't just the instances where we choose bad. A big part of what we need to be saved from is all the times that we're just so convinced that we've got a great idea. All the times that we're just so convinced that we're looking at the situation and we see it all. We see what the truth is. When we look at the situation and we can see what has been done that's wrong, that needs to be corrected. When we look at the situation and we just think, look, I'd love to go this other way, but I mean, justice is requiring me to go this other way, that, that this is what's right. When I'm just so convinced that, that this is what needs to be happened. God, praise God, praise Jesus that he saves us from all the evil that we do based on us thinking that we're doing something good. It says, how did God save him? He says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away discreetly. That's divorce. He was basically 
alienated himself. She was basically abandoning her. She hadn't done anything wrong in terms of her having a child. It wasn't her fault. There wasn't something that she had done wrong. It wasn't like she's innocent any more than, than Joseph was, but what he's thinking is was completely wrong. And based on that, on this sense of righteousness, he's now abandoning her. Here's how God made it, right? He said, but when he was considering this or had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. That's the same thing as he says up here. He says, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham at verse one. Son of David, when he said that to Joseph, Joseph knew what that meant. God was saying, I have something great for you. Joseph, you're, you're thinking about this in terms of what's the right thing to do. I have something great for you. I have a calling for you. I have a greatness for you. And what is that greatness? How do you walk down that path of greatness? He says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. See, when we look at this, the way we look at it is Joseph, therefore, moved by an ardent love of justice. The, the Bible doesn't say that. That's us supposing that. That wasn't what was driving Joseph. What was driving Joseph was fear his own fear. It had nothing to do with something that Mary was doing. It had nothing to do with whether there was or wasn't. It had nothing to do with him thinking he was doing something righteous. We love to frame our motivations like this. I just want to do what's right. I just, I'm just thinking through my, my conversation with this person. It's all framed into like, I'm just trying to like put out what's right to them. And, and so there's, yeah, this is creating a distance here, but what else can be done? Because we're talking about what's right. And if they want to argue with me about what's right, I'm open to arguing with them. And if they could convince me that, that, yeah, I'm actually wrong, then okay, we won't have to separate it. But, but if they can't convince me, who's already made up my mind that they're wrong, what kind of path is our path to greatness is not paved by conversations like that. The path to greatness that God has for us is paved by this, us realizing that most of those conversations have nothing to do with what's right and wrong. If we even could come to that conclusion, it's a front. Our problem that we're having with someone else, Joseph was thinking, the problem I'm having with Mary is that Mary has done something bad, done something wrong. First of all, that was not true. Second of all, that was not what was driving him. He framed it like that, and we see it like that. But what it's really about is Joseph was afraid. And most of the time that we're creating some sort of separation, most of the time that we're talking about what someone else has done wrong or has or hasn't done wrong, most of the time when we're causing a separation, based on some sort of view of righteousness, it has nothing to do with that. It's simply about us being afraid. And we just need to own up to that. And God just puts it right where it's at. 
He speaks the truth, and he's going to speak the truth to us too. And why is he speaking the truth to us? Because that's saving us. And he's letting us know, he's bringing it out, not to condemn Joseph, but to say, look, you don't need to be afraid. I know you're saying blah, 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 all this. Let's just bypass that. This is about you being afraid. There's no need to be afraid because I'm with you. I have a calling for you. You're the son of David. There's greatness attached to a calling that I have for you. And you're causing this separation with someone that I want you to be with. I've called for you to be with. And you know that in your heart. And that's why this is so difficult for you. But the reason why you're causing this distance is because of your own fear. And I'm just telling you, you don't need to be afraid. Don't let that fear cause a separation. And then he says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And then he gives the reason why. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Don't do this. Why? For Mary's sake, yes. But if you create a distance with Mary, what's not being mentioned here, that God says straight out. This guy, the ardent love of justice, and he talks about the, what about Jesus? What about the baby that's there? How come no one even bothered mention that? God goes straight to, it's not just Mary. By distancing yourself to Mary, whether there's something there or not that she's done wrong, which there isn't, but even if it were true, what about the baby that's in her? What about the Savior of the world that's there? By distancing yourself from her, you're distancing yourself from Jesus, the creator of the universe. How can we, the, the greatness of what God's called us to is not going to be determined by this distancing that we make with people. The question is, where is Jesus? Where do we see the work of Jesus happening? And where we see that, don't let ourselves be distanced from that. And most of the reasons why we think we should are because of false judgments. Most of the reasons why we think we should are because we've distanced. Our, it's based on our own fears, nothing to do with anyone else. But the guiding light is not what's going on us trying to contemplate what the right, how I should do this or how. Listen to what God is saying and what God is making clear to Joseph is Jesus is here. Make a decision towards Jesus. God will always make Jesus clear to us. The power of Jesus being with us, the power of God being with us is that we will see what God is doing. And we need to hold to that. It says, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We're greatly mistaken if we think that our ardent love for justice, 
this love that we have to be righteous, this love, this knowledge that we have, that we see the situation, that we know all the factors, and that we're just laying out what's right. That's not the path to anything other than condemnation. The path to greatness that Jesus has laid out for us, that's based on his promise, is not an ardent love of that. It's an ardent love of this that he will save his people from their sins. It's a love of being saved from our sins. It's a love of repentance, a love of forgiveness. That's where the path is led down. That's how we'll see what Jesus is is doing. How do we know how to move forward? It's often highlighted by, well, where is there an opportunity to forgive? Where is there an opportunity to repent? The path that Jesus has for it is not one where we figure out the right thing to do and then we go out and do it. We have this great plan. We have this great vision. We have this great mission. We have these great things that need to happen. No. It's laid out by, if we look at the story, us having great plans. God's saying, well, that's not really the plan. Let's change directions. Contemplating, yeah, this, I need to put her away. No, that's not the plan. You need to change directions. The path of Jesus is highlighted by us changing directions, and it's not change directions in the way that many people point to it, that repentance is about changing direction, that we were being bad, and now we need to change directions and be good. It's that we thought we knew what was good, We thought we had a great plan. We thought that this is the way things needed to work. And now because of where we see Jesus, we need to just pass all that, just set all that off to the side and just go over here. And I don't know what's going on, but I'm here. That's following Jesus. And that's a wonderful opportunity of salvation to just be sort of free from that. You know, most of the regrets that you have as a father are all the times you thought this is the way things need to be. All the things that you sort of put your say behind, here's the way I think things need to be. And then you realize, I didn't really see the picture. I didn't really know. And that was actually a big mistake that caused distance to people that I love. That's what Jesus is saving us from, and we need that. And it's good news, because we're never going to be able to stop doing that. We're just going to keep doing that over and over again, and it would just be devastating if it's not for the fact that Jesus is willing to step in and save us. And the point of us turning is so that we can enjoy the calling and the life that God has for us. The last thing is, now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. This is coming from, uh, I, I think it's actually Isaiah 9, a lot of the things that we'll look at in Matthew Uh, point to, I think, Isaiah 9, but this is actually Isaiah 7. 
I think. And what it is, there's an interesting thing that God says, or one of the prophets say to the king. God said, I'm going to save you. That's the word the prophet gave. And ask for a sign. And the guy says, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. I'm not going to test the Lord my God. He puts it out as though, yeah, no, no, I'm going to do the right thing. I don't need a, a test. You know, saying that is like the equivalent of saying, yeah, I, I need to be rescued from these bad people, but I don't need to, I, I'm not bad. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, he's holding to this salvation of, yeah, there's the bad, but that's not me. I, I'm not going to test it. And the prophet says to him, is it too slight of a thing? that you just cause this contempt or, or, or you make it so difficult for people to be around you that you do the same thing to God? Here's the sign that God will give you, Emmanuel, God with us. It's a sign of God saying, look, isn't it obvious you just keep persisting down this path and just make it so difficult for people to be with you that they don't want to even want to be around you anymore. And you're doing the exact same thing to God. But praise be to Jesus that God still wants, he persists. His loving kindness, he says, is everlasting. God always wants to be with us. And Jesus coming and becoming flesh, becoming one of us, becoming a person, and the Holy Spirit coming in and dwelling with us is God saying, I want to be with you. Yes, because of your hesitancies, because of the way that you're always approaching things. Yes, it's just making it very difficult for anyone to be around you. And you're doing the exact same thing to me, but I don't care because I just want to be with you so badly. Jesus coming to the world isn't just saving us from the things that we think we've done that are wrong, the, the few things, if we can even think of some things, we think of some. But the entire gospel as we read through it and as we read through the New Testament already is them trying to convince people that, look, you thought you needed a savior from those bad people, the Romans this, the government this the hypocritical religious people, this, all that may be true. But what we didn't realize, this is what they say over and over again, they can, tried to convince people that the Savior that they needed was a Savior that was going to die on the cross. We, we just don't see it. Because most of what we do, we think we're ardently doing what we consider to be right. And those are the things that Jesus has come to save us from. And as he brings that up, makes it clear where he is, it's an opportunity for us, not just to repent, not just to change directions, but an opportunity for us to grab a hold of the only thing that's going to be great about us, to be able to participate in what it is that Jesus is doing. But more importantly, it's an opportunity for us as we think about Christmas, joy to the world and all that. It's an opportunity for us to grab a hold of a happiness and a joy in our life that's based on Jesus.
on where we see Jesus. And where we see Jesus is very often going to be someplace outside of our great plans. It's going to be on the other side of this contemplation that we have about what the right thing is to do. The right thing to do is to grab a hold of Jesus. Where do we see the work of Jesus? Where do we see Jesus? And what does the work of Jesus look like? It looks like people coming to repent. It looks like people forgiving. And as we walk down that path, there's a joy that attaches. And why is that? Because it's an indication that God is with us. And it's not that we're saved so that God can be with us. It's Jesus came down while we were yet sinners. Jesus came down and the Christ died for us. It's Jesus saying, I am going to be with you. I am here with you. And by my very nature of my presence with you, you are saved. And insofar as we want to open our heart up to that, and we're going to close our heart to it oftentimes, but insofar as we're willing to open our heart to that, we're opening our heart to that joy that comes from knowing that God is with us. And it's a knowledge that's come by us seeing that he's saving his people from their sins. He's saving us from all the righteous things that we think we're doing that's really about us distancing ourselves from the Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the way that you save us, and thank you, God, for saving us from all the things that we don't even think we need saving from. Thank you for saving us from all the ways that we're distancing ourselves from people. And Jesus, thank you for saving us from all the ways that everyone around us is distancing themselves from us. The way that people are looking at us and judging us. The way that people are looking at us and not really seeing what's really going on. Thank you, Jesus, for saying that you're going to stand with us that you're going to be with us on the basis of forgiveness, on the basis of your eternal love for us, and based on nothing else. Jesus, help us to see you in our life this week. Help us to turn and to open our hearts to you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.